Hello and welcome to the Extreme Perspectives podcast. We bring you conversations with people who see things differently and think differently. The innovators, outliers, misfits, rebels, and the crazy ones from the Sense Network. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. I seek out extreme perspectives of people who want to change things and push the human race forward. Together, we collaborate with the world's most innovative companies to help them to be more innovative. Today, we're talking to the outlier, globetrotter, creative turned data scientist, Nicholas Kuhn from Kuala Lumpur. Keep listening as we discuss data odysseys and possibility engines, new ways to fail, and why he is preparing his young sons to go to space. Morning, Nick. How are you doing? Morning, Jeremy. Lovely to uh, speak to you this morning. And uh, well, thanks for joining us. We'll get straight into it. I'd love you to tell us a little bit about yourself, who, where, what. Um, But before we do that, are you an outlier, misfit, rebel or crazy one? Well, depending on whether you speak to my wife or uh, my staff, I suppose it, uh, it will differ. I, I suppose uh, an outlier in one sense, I've uh, moved from the creative industry into the data science industry uh, and always had a, a great uh, love of futurism and trying to understand what the next is. So yeah, from that outlier, mixing a variety of disciplines together, I think is, uh, is where I'd fit. I'm not a, necessarily a, a specialist or a visionary in one particular area. But uh, I, I try and look at really more being a pioneer in certain areas. And the pioneers were great, are great at starting things, but not necessarily the ones you want um, managing a town or uh, you know, a project for the rest of, the, of your life. You need to move on to something else. So I'm always looking for the next big thing, trying to be the first in there. And then I let the folks who are very professional and very good at what they're doing take on from there so that I can... Uh, get my interest back into, into, into something new. Well, the world needs outliers and visionaries, Nick. That's excellent. Um, where, where are we speaking to you today? So I'm on a very busy street. So if you hear um, uh, noisy motorbikes, I uh, curse at them every evening at two o'clock. Um, I'm uh, in Kuala Lumpur in uh, Malaysia. Uh, but that's, that doesn't sound like that's your native home. It sounds like you might have been on a bit of a journey. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah well, I, I was born in a very interesting place uh, where Tolkien, um, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, was born in Bloemfontein, of all places. So I grew up in a, in a farming, farming area and uh, then moved to the metropolis of Johannesburg and did my schooling uh, over there, went to the UK and did my uh, A-levels, came back to South Africa uh, and did an advertising and communications degree. And uh, quite early on realized um, that uh, the South African market was going under quite a lot of changes. So I had an opportunity to move to Nigeria uh, and uh, start a research, uh, well, train up uh, a local company in uh, market research, specifically in in the youth market. That was interesting. That was before cell phones. So dealing in Nigeria before that time, nobody knew if I was alive when I got to the airport. Then I moved uh, back to SA and I joined Nando's, which uh, you might be aware of if you like your spicy uh, peri-peri chicken. 
And I was the international brand manager. So I helped the launch of Nando's into India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, all sorts of interesting territories. I then joined a company called Interbrand, which is a large brand strategy, strategy firm. The, one of the first financial crises hit and then none of our clients decided to spend money on branding. So I came back, uh, back to South Africa and joined a company which did trend forecasting. I then moved back to Nigeria with uh, TBWA, uh, came back to South Africa and uh, joined MTV as uh, the head of marketing. So I launched Comedy Central into, into Africa, which was uh, one of the highlights. And because I love classical music, being the head of marketing for MTV was really quite a surreal, <laughs> surreal experience because the music type really wasn't you know, uh, suitable for me. But because I was so oblivious to the music, I made better marketing decisions, I think. I wasn't uh, enamored by all of the celebs and things like that around us. So I just treated them like normal human beings. I was then brought back to, to Interbrand to uh, run uh, West Africa. And uh, unfortunately, again, the next financial crisis hit and that scuppered all of the chances in West Africa. And I then started Wunderbrand, which is a, a brand strategy business focusing specifically on emerging markets. And that's when I first got in touch with Sense Worldwide because I, I saw what you guys were doing even those early days. The whole concept of creative intelligence and using that hive mind of individual, of creative um, and uh, different individuals around the world really spoke to me. And then lastly, I, I moved to Malaysia to set up a data science business. One of the, the problems I find in the marketing and brand world is that we are still not integrating enough data and analytics into our work. So we're not going to be taken seriously if we don't move into this new era of data science and understanding AI and machine learning. And it's not as complicated as think people think. We do it in our everyday lives. We call it heuristics. But um, yeah, I've been in, in Malaysia for the last almost uh, two years now. It's been an interesting, interesting journey working across the United the States and uh, Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, been a very interesting, been a very interesting uh, couple of years. I can tell you that. Lots of different cultures, lots of different perspectives. But one thing you said really struck me uh, a moment ago is when you were at MTV with a love of classical music, and you said you probably made better decisions because you had this outlier perspective, this sort of, you weren't a fanboy for the music necessarily, but you, you yeah. were there to do a job and you had more objectivity. I thought that was really fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about data science. I mean, for a lot of people, we hear this term and we just go, that must be guys in either white coats or maybe it's hoodies these days. But could you give us a quick definition of what data science is? Well, data science really is statistics at the end of the day. The field of data science that I'm playing in and that I'm trying to uh, make some advances in is creative data science. So uh, similar to how websites uh, 10, 15 years ago needed uh, specialists in CSS and C++ and all sorts of uh, different languages to and HTML to create a website and get all the functionality you need. Nowadays, you've got Wix telling you you can make your website in two seconds. You pull this here, pull that there, bring them together, and um, it's done. And data science is going the same, is going the same way. In the past, you needed guys in white coats, people who stayed in the, um, in the basement and went through enormous spreadsheets and SPSS, and uh, you needed a, a heck of a lot of technical 
um, and statistical knowledge to be able to get any insight or um, get any feel for, for the data. What's happening now is a move towards something called AutoML and AutoAI, which basically means the fundamentals of data science in terms of the algorithms and the, the, the science behind it has basically been codified. So similar to website design, you need a square, it needs to, it needs to move along with uh, the different size phones. The exact same thing is happening in, in data science where the, the basic components um, have all been codified. And now what we need in data science is creative people to take all of this data, to take all of this um, masses of data and actually come up with something creative with it. So that's the area that we're in. So the, the data science, when you hear um, people talking about R and Python and uh, all of these other uh, concepts, that is still a core function for very specific businesses who are going into, um, who need to make something very um, unique or specific for themselves. But most businesses and the businesses that we deal with are not flying to the moon, are not doing driverless cars, uh, they are doing things like uh, fraud detection and they're doing things like trying to understand their target markets better. And in order to do that, you don't need to be a mathematician. You need to be somebody who can think in a, uh, in a structured way, but also a creative way to look at, look at this, these data catalogs that, that are now available and blend them in ways that have never been done before. So that for me is where data science is going. It's no longer, mathematics is good, yes, but um, we've got calculators now, we've got spreadsheets, we've got all of these auto AI and, and auto um, ML uh, platforms, which do the heavy lifting for us. So we are now transcending the, the science part of, uh, of data science and moving into creative um, analytics or creative, creative thinking in the data, data science uh, space. That's one of the best descriptions uh, and introductions I've heard and that was helpful for me as well. Good, good. So tell us a little bit more about the, the, the creativity that you, you apply to that or on, on your projects. What's the edge that you bring to data science? All of the majority, I'd say 99% of the folks that I deal with in this, uh, in this area are IT professionals or are in finance. And uh, if you look at the Myers-Briggs um, tests, uh, You'll, you'll see that they are not in the creative quadrants. And this means that they are seeing it in a very systematic way. And they are seeing it in terms of how they were taught at university or in a very, very linear, linear processes. Um, you've still got quite a lot of old school thinking in terms of data science. So the, the two things that I really focus on here is one is something called a, a data odyssey. And the data odyssey is not technical at all. It's basically, into, it's, it's literally what you guys do or um, any creative um, concept process. So the data odyssey is a, um, looking at a journey of data throughout the organization. So how is it created? How is it stored? Who's using it? How are they using it? And where are gaps in this data? And this is just uh, looking at the process. So again, there are no tools used here. It's interviews. So it's lots and lots and lots and lots of interviews. Um, and then we do recommendations in terms of what platforms or what systems you should use to help you um, to help get your data into a um, into a format into a usable format so that you can start getting insights out of it. The second part of it is um, something we call the possibility engine, and the possibility engine you'll probably recognise 
It is um, where we interview and have workshops with um, the LOBs. So this is your HR man, your HR directors, uh, finance directors, uh, CEOs, C-suite. First of all, we start with the C-suite to try and give them a vision for what data science can do for their business. So we, we try and understand, we try and show them, these are case studies of what uh, your peer businesses are doing. Here are some new technologies or applications of um, data that you pot potentially have in your business that are being used to leapfrog uh, or are going to knock you off your pedestal. And I try and use a little bit of fear in this space because none of these businesses want to you know, lose their number one position or number two position. So you can't always go in with logic in terms of this is a really great idea, this is how you apply it. You need to bring in that, that fear aspect. So once we've worked with the leadership team to create a vision for how data science can be um, integrated into their business or what value it can create in their business or how it might transform the actual business not in terms of processes, but in terms of what they're offering. Then we go to the next level, which is what I mentioned, the finance directors and folks like that, where we say, where we interview them and we do the post-its. We say, let's look at a user journey. How is your customer using your product and how are they generating data for you? How are your internal teams generating data? How can we improve processes? So by bringing in robotic process automation or visualizing things, how about a dashboard of all your data for the first time. How useful would that be? And then we create MVPs, so minimum viable products for each department. So for HR, it could be improving a, a process with an AI chatbot or um, in the supply chain, they could be bringing in IoT devices. So there's no, again, no technology, no data science at this phase. It is purely coming up with generating concepts of how can you improve the processes in your, in your department and how is data um, going to play a role? And what data do you need? How fast should it be? You know, all those veracity, variety, and, and so forth. Um, and yeah, creating concepts for them and helping them understand how to use uh, these new AI and machine learning possibilities that are out there. Because a lot of these folks are very smart uh, and are not terrified of AI and machine learning, but uh, it sounds like a totally different field to what they should be in. So we try and soften it and give it a more you know, human touch on it and what value AI is going to add uh, to your particular role. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think there are some, there's certainly some parallels as you pointed out, but even demystifying innovation, I mean, over the last 20 years, I'm pleased there have been more books published on it and there's more education around innovation now. But at the beginning, there was a lot of time needed to be spent just demystifying it. And most importantly, in our number one value with the Sense Network is be human. Uh, so just trying to yeah. tell it like it is and almost decodify things and make them very real. That can, that can make a huge difference. Well, will you talk about there not being enough of this out there? I think that the course that you guys uh, were running uh, on this creative intelligence um, is exactly what's is exactly what's needed. Um, I've looked for material, I've looked for case studies, I've looked for um, courses online to go to try and study how do I explain data science to, and uh, integrate it into a business from a non-technical perspective. 
and there is none. All of these things on Coursera and Udemy and all of these other platforms, it all says, you know, uh, coming soon. They are all working out. They're all trying to figure out and work on it because it's a, compl it's a, complicated, uh, it's a complicated process. Dealing with people is more difficult than dealing with, uh, with algorithms. So, so I think uh, what the, the, the work that you're doing in that space, I think has tremendous um, possibilities because uh, businesses out there are dying to know how to apply data science in their business. But what is data science? Uh, and the, the word data science needs to be rebranded into something else because it's not uh, data, everything is data. Science that you do, you know, do hypothesis and testing and so on. But it's uh, similar to, uh, I think you, uh, you might not have come up with it, but you, you could have that digital oxygen where everyone's going to be on mobile phones, digital, digital, digital. It's no longer digital, it's just life. Yeah. So that's just how life is. Um, so data science is part of everyone's um, uh, daily life. It just needs to be demystified and broken down into bite-sized chunks so people don't uh, think that the, the robots are going to steal their jobs. They're probably gonna create more. Yeah. You mentioned a word which I'd like to zoom in on. You mentioned the word fear but I know you also like to talk about failure. And so I thought that might be, it might be a good moment just to open up that topic and see what you might have to, to say about that, because I, it's the experience of it. And I mean, a lot of stuff has been written um, about failure, but I've never been that comfortable with it because I think the headline of failure is, it, it grabs, uh, grabs you too much and almost puts you off. But actually, if you start to lift the lid on it, it, uh, it can be a really powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, failure and uh, poverty are two of the things that um, push humans forward, I think, quite a lot. Uh, poverty in terms of, you know, wanting to improve your circumstances and fear um, is, or failure is, um, is something that uh, makes you rethink processes and rethink decisions. It either is something that you can use to improve your own performance or to share your skills and experience um, or your, your experiences with those so that they don't fall into the, into, the same, into the same trap. But the wonderful thing about failure is there's always new ways to fail. <laughs> so you never, get it, you never get it right. So there's always a, a great opportunity to fail, fail at something. But the thing with failure and, uh, and something I've learned over the, the past couple of years is um, you've, just got to, you've just got to push through. It can always be worse, uh, as, my, as my father used to say. But I'll, I'll give an example of, um, of my trajectory. And uh, I, had a, I had a great start. So I've, been, I've worked at fantastic companies. I've gone to wonderful schools. I've got a great network. And uh, everything seemed to be going just swimmingly. I married a very beautiful woman. I've got two kids in that now. And she also thought I was doing uh, swimmingly when, <laughs> when, we, when we met. And I started my business with, a very, with quite a clear, clear concept. And the business grew from the first year from, you know, billing uh, in the equivalent of sort of $500 a month to uh, the high point where we were doing um, about $500,000 a month. So it went up um, quite, uh, quite dramatically. And we did everything right. I paid my people well. I brought in a very diverse, a very diverse team from the from the onset. I had a great way of training up my 
training up my team. We went, we worked all around the world. We did uh, fantastic work, made sure we focused on, on client delivery. And then the uh, financial crisis hits and customers uh, don't pick up your, your phone to pay bills. Uh, and you have to come up with creative ways to engage with customers. And you have a look at a business that was once a beautiful shining palace, which is now descended into a, uh, uh, a place where staff are unhappy, you're unhappy, family's unhappy, customers are unhappy. And at some stage, there's, there's nothing really you can, you can do about it. A lot of things are out of, your, out of your control. And no matter how great your systems and your processes are, uh, if your business is not generating cash, you don't have a business. So no matter how, how wonderful things are. And in some cases, it can be your own, your, own mis your own fault in terms of bad planning and so on. Other times, it's just things like COVID-19. It's things like uh, economic crises. And I, I think we've got to realize, I think a lot of businesses operate with, on the, under the assumption that nothing is ever going to go wrong. Things will just continue like stock markets, that will just continue going up and up in, until they don't. I, I think I've, I've had to come to peace with myself that there's nothing more I could have done on it. It's just something like death and, you know, death and taxes. It's, those are the two things that you can, that you can rely on. But it, what it has done is uh, made me much leaner in my, in my subsequent businesses. So once you've lost so much money, you, you become uh, slightly risk averse which is one of the things that allows your business in the first place to grow because you are slightly less risk averse, you're looking for opportunities. But now you start looking um, under rocks before you, uh, b before you proceed. So you just have a little, you have that five second or one second extra insight into what potential pitfalls might be, might be coming along the way. And um, one of the big things I've, the, I think the one, big thing I've learned is don't sign any damn contracts uh, that are longer than a month. So cell phone contracts, rental contracts, those are the things that, uh, that are hidden costs over the long term. So cheap in the beginning, but um, more damaging in, in the long term. I've spoken to quite a few young agencies as well and tried to guide them. I've also closed down one or two young agencies because they, had, they started off on the wrong foot and I could see that um, the founders or the folks involved would lose all their money very soon. There's a sort of a, you can, you can see the writing on the wall and sometimes you're very close to your business like a child, you're putting lots of passion in it um, and passion at the end of the day doesn't, um, doesn't pay the bills. So, that, so that's, been, that's been quite an interesting, interesting journey. It's given me more insight into people as well more insight into the financial industry as well in terms of um, how there needs to be some adjustments in, in how they work and how difficult it is um, for businesses to succeed. There are times where, okay, how am I going to pay salaries this month? This needs to be paid. There are very few people you can talk to about that because as a business owner, you need to look successful. You need to look like you've got the, your hand on the tiller. And there's this, um, not this lie, but this veneer uh, over most business owners that uh, you just uh, smile and say, wow, I had a great day, great month, etc." Whereas inside your intestines are twisted up, causing all sorts of havoc. And there's not terribly much support for, for, business, for um, businesses that are okay, but need support or businesses that uh, you know, are starting out in a new direction. There's no playbook for this. 
So you need, uh, I think, a support network um, for people who have failed, um, for other people uh, so that they don't fail is, is uh, something that should be out there. And you've, you see, very rarely do you see anything about people talking about these failures until they're very successful and then they're, then they're happy to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I think people would uh, tread slightly more warily in business if they knew the stresses and strains of running, of running a business. Yeah, I think one of the easiest ways of spotting a fake um, is that person who positions themselves as, as having made it and, and they kind of make it sound really easy and are just saying how clever they were. Yeah, um, yeah. That might, that might happen one in a hundred but usually scratch beneath the surface and um, there's no story there at all. And uh, it's, it's all schutzpah. I think there are, I think this has been one of the interesting things and you, you talk about these businesses, which are, I think there's a term for them. They're almost like zombie businesses, aren't they? They're not really growing. And, and if you're not growing, then you're probably dying. Yeah. But it's sort of, sustaining it sometimes we all know there's moments of risk where you're going to be exposed on this or you're going to be exposed on that but and and i think what we've one of the things i've observed is you know retail businesses have not had a good ride over the last decade and covid has come along and i think put some of those to rest or forced them to start to transform uh, their businesses uh, yeah. However, they choose to do that. That's a good creative challenge. Um, yeah. But I think there are there are many other businesses out there as well that aren't really businesses. Yeah. Well, let, let's just look at the industry that I was in, advertising and uh, and branding. And I'm sure you've got a lot of experience in in this space as well. Um, uh, there's that frog boiling um, saying where you know a frog you know stick a a frog in a, in, a, in, a, in a pot and turn up the heat and it'll, you know, it doesn't know it's dead until it's, uh, it's been cooked. And uh, the branding industry uh, is, and the advertising industry has been acting um, like the uh, violinists on uh, the Titanic uh, because the industry has completely changed and is completely evaporated. So what always astounds me is how many new brand agencies and how many new advertising agencies are popping up um, all over the place. And you'll notice that all of the templates for how to start an advertising agency, how to start a brand agency uh, are out there. And that is the first sign that your industry is dead and buried because as soon as it's all being codified or as soon as somebody can replicate it and there's no barrier to entry, why are you going into that business? It's easy and it's, it's, it's no longer viable. And the, the, the point um, for a lot of industries is they don't know they're dead until um, the very last second when it's, uh, when it's too late. So retail, I think um, retail has to fundamentally, fundamentally change. Uh, online shopping has become much more immersive, much more useful. Um, uh, people are, understand the process now. It's not some strange activity. And even the uh, online players have to change how they're operating now. In the beginning, you had uh, all of these um, exciting uh, things you could do on it. Now people just want to go and buy their product, get out, and they want as little you know, weaving in between uh, aisles, digital aisles as possible, and we're putting those blocks in again. 
So they are doing exactly the same mistakes as they did in bricks and mortar in the, in the online space. So, uh, and it's moving so tremendously quickly that I don't know how we're going to cope in the future, to be honest. I think if I look at my son playing um, Minecraft or Roblox and so, or whatever, <laughs> whatever these things are called, they are talking, messaging, playing games, doing X, Y, Z. They, they really are a different, uh, a different breed. And um, they are going to expect things um, to happen uh, in real time in, in a way that we can't actually understand. Also, that we don't want to understand. We do not want the same shopping experience as these youngsters. So I, it's engaging with a network or with people, uh, diverse ages and diverse uh, requirements is very important for businesses. Otherwise, they will completely miss the new wave and completely misunderstand what the new, what new consumers are looking for. And unfortunately, the age bands, I think you had millennials and you had all of these, the age bands are going to be yearly at some stage because even these youngsters are not going to be able to pick up the next set of technology which is going to be one year behind them because they're going to enjoy their technology platform because we like getting comfortable so they're going to get comfortable playing their five things at a time the next lot are going to want 20 things at the same time or are just going to want one platform so we don't know where things are going but i do think that simplicity is going to come back again there's too much but uh, who knows, I'm, uh, I've, I've got uh, two young boys and I've said, uh, forget about earth, um, let's look at space. Uh, we, you need to get your mind ready for understanding what is life in uh, Elon Musk's universe going to look like. So maths and science, very important, but physically you need to be, you know, you need to be very fit and you need to think about new concepts for, for the space generation, which I think is 10, 20 years, uh, 10, 20 years away. And I've started a mock site, which is about space fruit and veg deliveries, which is, I find very hilarious, but I'm sure it's, it's very dull to other folks. But, you know, the, the whole replicator concept from Star, Star Trek and that, it is happening. I've already seen it. And um, we are thinking about small little things now. How can we increase retail sales by 2%? How can we increase um, likability of this advert? Or how can we get more tweets and likes? People are thinking in a completely wrong, they're thinking here where the future is, is here. And I think your role is to start getting people to think you are thinking about unimportant, unnecessary things. You're missing the big picture. You're spending money in areas that are not adding any value to humans. Let's transform our thinking from likes and digital and the basics and move now into what can we do to um, forge humanity into into a new into a new space? So uh, that that's that's the the space I'd like to see myself in in the next uh, twenty years is the space uh, space industry, and whether it's uh, doing space canning for uh, sausages uh, or um, growing uh, spinach, uh, I think there's going to be a market for that. But we need youngsters to start thinking beyond the things that they're being taught now. Which is I, I look at my kids, I'm thinking I'd just rather teach you at home my thinking and what you should be doing rather than going and doing a, accounting to all of these things are going to evaporate in 20 years. Gone, 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 gone. We don't need them. I could not agree with you more. <laughs> it, it's all about reframing the future, really understanding what's important, what's going to be important for humans. Yeah. And the big thing you touch on there is education. Yeah. 
I mean, even education needs reframing fundamentally. I mean, the, the skills um, that we are being brought up with um, and told and conditioned to believe are important are not important. And the, the one thing that often is educated out of people and is, is that creativity, is that ability yeah. to think bigger and think differently. And that is the most important skill is, because it, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's like poverty and failure. You sort yeah. of have to stare those in the face uh, and then that forces you to think differently. Um, but we almost get a little bit too comfortable and we forget that uh, there are some pretty primal drivers there. But if we can take care of those, we can have an awful lot of fun creating some very cool stuff. And that's probably enough to fill a lifetime unless we start living longer. Absolutely. And just, just on that education thing, because it really, it really rags me, especially since I look at how, how my kids going to be um, useful human beings. Uh, the current education system, even at the elite level, is going to create a can, generations of undereducated and um, uh, poor people. Because if we look at Europe, I mean, Asia and Africa, which are now starting to get their education systems up and running, they are 200 years, they, they're using 200 year old education techniques that we are currently using now at universities and, and so on. So they are going to be completely un. Uh, prepared for the space generation or the this this uh, this next generation and you'll see i'm sure a lot of the the, the wealthy folks in in the states and europe and that their kids aren't going to university they're doing internships they are learning new things having a degree is now not what it, it used to be so again if everyone can get it it's not valuable so and that's that's uh, that's an issue that uh, that people need to look at in the education space and i don't think uh, anyone except the Finns perhaps are getting it right and we need to go back to uh, more we need to add in more creative classes in um, in schools understanding the classics knowing history um, music and things like that because that's what expands your mind just give uh, youngsters a a broad palette in their minds that they can craft anything they they want by listening to music by understanding um, how to build things versus teaching them uh, things that you can ask Google for, really. <laughs> so then that begs the question, what types of people will you be hiring in the future? What will you be looking for? Or what do you look for now, maybe, in terms of experience and education? So I'm not practicing what I preach always. Um, so I need to just put a caveat, uh, a caveat there because we still operate in this old operating system. Uh, but what I try to do, obviously, I look for attitude. I look for people with a, a good with a, with a good attitude. We've got a learning mindset, and I tell everyone who joins us that um, you're going to be uh, once you leave us, you're going to be way better than when you came in. So that's my that is my mission and my promise to anyone who comes in you will be ground down in terms of your psyche to make sure that your mind is open to uh, new ideas and to, and to thinking creatively we we do obviously hire an inordinate amount of uh, actuarial scientists and engineers and so on 
And that's where the struggle comes in. That's why I'm CEO and, and they're not, uh, because of the creative thinking. Um, because it's, uh, they're all thinking, everyone's thinking in a very similar, in a similar way. But what I would like, and I was, I was chatting to my wife about it the other night, is I think the apprenticeship uh, concept needs to come back. And it, it, again, it means a, a difference in, in hiring in terms of how you hire, because I want peop young people with aptitude that will, be, that will have four to seven, you know, four years typically learning processes, learning one, um, learning a process, and then they are useful human beings. I think right now you've got executives of one year, two years experience. They are no use, really, and it's bad for them. I think this, um, the new process uh, is creating a generation of managers who, who can't manage anything. Really, you're talking about people who have lived a little. You, well, I guess you want people who have been through the mill a little bit. That and also people with, an, with um, a completely open, uh, open mind to learn new things. Because if you cannot um, reformat your hard drive or you can't put a new operating system, you know, like Apple does every five minutes, you're going to be stuck with the, the dinosaurs. So they're going to be, again, two types, two types of roles. Um, uh, one is going to be those who are operating on systems. So you, you need those uh, to be on your, your uh, data science platforms and things like that, where you need technical knowledge, you need, you need to be able to move from one to the next as there are new versions, new versions of it. So you have to continuously learn. So part of your, uh, your role, I think about 10 to 20% of your, 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 uh, your working time is actually upskilling just to do your, just to do your job. Um, and then there are those who are going to, you know, in the manufacturing or other, other fields who are going to be focusing on just in improving processes and working on, you know, creating, creating things. Um, and, I, and I think that's uh, uh, a bit of a lost art. And I think the Americans are waking up to that now where they're bringing manufacturing back to uh, the States because you need people who are working with their, with their hands and working with real things. Uh, we are going very digital, uh, very um, esoteric, uh, but people, uh, we, we're not in the virtual reality world yet where we can all um, sit in a hollow deck um, and enjoy, and enjoy sun, sunsets like that. So I, I think there's going to be, um, you know, that dichotomy between the, the, the doers and the, and the makers. I agree. And I think sometimes you can almost think about the organizational chart, you know, as that's been shrunk down from a conventional looking pyramid. There's almost half of it left because the cult consultants have made it more lean and a yeah. lot of other things have changed over the last decade or so. But what you used to have in those businesses was uh, before all the, the efficiency drives in, you probably had more sort of slack space where people could be a little bit more creative or they might go out for lunch or they might have a drink at lunchtime and that conversation might open up a completely different i i'm not saying that going out at lunchtime and drinking is acceptable bad, bad jeremy i just know the environment that i first started working yeah. in came into the workplace and, and and what i think you've got now is what you were saying there are the sort of the makers and, and, and the doers, the people who are running the business. And then almost a lot of that creativity 
is gone. And where yeah. does that and where does that now come from? And I think that's that's the real value for us of that, you know, just what you've been talking about in terms of that that creativity and that ability to to see things differently. It's like that's what you need for driving that. And we've spoken to lots of very large businesses who have that problem. They are great at recruiting people who do very specific things for them, but they can't attract the people who can think creatively for them because they don't really create the right environment um, for them to be creative. Um, and I think one of the things I was hearing you saying was, and, and, and if I got this wrong, correct me, but it's that ability, that learning to learn is really important. So actually, when you come back to failure, it's not you that's failed, it's the skills often that you've got that have failed you. So that's the thing that you, if you've got the right attitude and that ability to learn, it's just, like you said, updating your operating system yeah. to, uh, you know, to tackle that problem in a, in a different way and coming at it, coming at it uh, in a different way and just going into another iterative loop, another, another version of um, yeah. what it was. And as you said, we kind of, you mentioned earlier, you look under the rocks, you're, you take a few more seconds to look under the rocks this time around. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very interesting time. I think um, uh, hiring is going to be one of the most difficult roles at the moment. And to, to your point, talking to these big companies, they've got cash flow, they've got legacy, they've got legacy invoices sitting there. Um, so they've got money behind them. And I think one of the, the but that creativity is a, is a, is a big problem because of the ossified culture of most of these places. And where I think sense um, makes, uh, makes sense is that you've got this hive mind of creatives sitting outside of these organizations. And I think people are going to become much more um, open to using uh, platforms like yours because we've, ha we've got Iranians, Russians, and South Africans, and, and Malaysians, and China, a whole bunch of different people working with us. But we also utilize people from all around the world working in, in, in projects. And um, they are used as subject matter experts for when, uh, for when um, their uh, specific needs are, I mean, their specific um, skills are required. The ability for us to use um, great minds around the world um, for projects uh, has never been better than it, than it is now. And I think you guys were one of the first to, to start this, this process. And I think the, the opportunities in this space to utilize subject matter experts and to um, help companies be more creative because creativity is uh, what pushes us, pushes us forward. It takes us out of reality into some crazy space um, and allows us to, to, to challenge ourselves. And for me, we're not challenging ourselves enough. We're doing little, 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 little increment, incremental changes, which is the Japanese's fault with their Kaizen approach, where just small little, little changes the whole time, which is great. But sometimes you just need that confluence or that consilience moment where everything comes together and you have this huge leap, this huge leap forward. And um, I think we are focusing too much on the weeds and not enough on the, on the woods. And uh, companies who are, or individuals who are, who are thinking about changing lanes completely uh, into, into going away from the day-to-day the -day grind into looking at where the future, uh, the future is going to take us, we're going to see things we have no idea that we couldn't even imagine in the next 10 years, I think. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm very pleased that probably there's no one in the Sense Network who would be rather placed where we're all sitting. They'd rather be here on the outside, looking in, thinking about possibilities. That's probably what brings yeah. us brings us all together. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's um, you know ideas are very ideas are scary, and you need uh, you know you need people to be able to say it in a in a way that uh, doesn't scare people too much, but gives them a bit of uh, almost like a profit. Uh, give them a bit of um, a, a vision into the future and let them visualize it because without visualizing it most people can't uh, grasp uh, grasp the concept so I think that's a very important skill as well. I think that's very good advice so the purpose of the Sense Network is to make things better and make better things is there anything that you're working on where you feel the Sense Network could help you or provide a perspective or if not you then what do you think we what's the big challenge that we need to be looking at as a community i i like the concept of leapfrogging and uh the benefit of working in this part of this part of the world is that there's um we don't necessarily have all of the legacy infrastructure that you european folks and americans have uh, we have the ability to change our thinking and go into new and sidestep the mistakes that, that you folks have made in terms of infrastructure, in terms of technology choices, education. Uh, and, I, and I think where sense could um, definitely play a role is for countries that are emerging out of their cocoon almost, what is a vision for the future for them? So I think government and, and health and education are areas that, they, that, that need to be focused on and specifically as we touched on education earlier, but health as well. Why shouldn't everyone be able to, um, you know, doctors are, are, great, are great people, but we are, our mind is being constricted to saying, this is what this role does and it must, they can only deal with uh, these kind of problems. With data science, with machine learning, we can think about new ways to deal with healthcare challenges. So how do you deal with places with healthcare challenges where you can actually, change the mindset of people or create a new mindset of people before they get stuck into a traditional uh, developed market uh, medical system, which is terrible. There's new, bet, new and better ways of, of doing that. So how can you bring in the local, the local uh, culture into, uh, in terms of how um, caring and how uh, support of the community works into healthcare? Uh, and into and into education. So I think those two areas, if you want to make a difference, that's that's an area to to focus on uh, healthcare and education. Just small things, but so important. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so much. It really has been it zoomed by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that time together, and we touched some really fascinating topics. So thank you very much for sharing your journey and telling us a little bit more about data science and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, always great chatting, Jeremy. And I look forward to a, uh, a Sense uh, Moon or Sense Mars uh, conference soon. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> That's Zoom. what they pay me for, so. <laughs> a Zoom on the moon. <laughs> that brings us to the end of a great conversation with Nick. If you want to learn things that you can't Google and are interested in joining the next Creative Intelligence training course, please get in touch.
We will be back soon with another mind-expanding and inspirational conversation, even if it's not a Zoom from the moon. Thank you for tuning in to Extreme Perspectives from the Sense Network. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If so, please share it with your friends. We'd also love to hear what you think, so please leave us a comment. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at The Sense Network. And if you want to get hands-on and collaborate on a project to make things better and make better things for people and the planet, join The Sense Network, linked in the description. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to next time.